This podcast is brought to you from our friends at Tinkata Protective Fabrics, Emergency Networking, MagnaGrip, and IFSTA. Welcome to Five After Midnight. It's a new show where we talk about the things the way you would around a sleep-deprived kitchen table. When you've run five or more calls after midnight, your brain feels half gone, and you and your crew have absolutely no filter. Just pure honesty. The goal of this series is to kick around the small things that really aren't so small and have a big impact in the way our firehouses function. My name is Stephanie. I'm genuinely not an expert at anything. I'm just here to ask the sometimes awkward questions. Enjoy. Let's back up a little bit and uh, start from the beginning because you did not just fall into the world of research and firefighter health. No. You you were you were and are one of us. How did <laughs> how did that journey humor and all? How did that journey start and what made you want to go into the world of science? Yeah, so I started out uh, as a firefighter in Overland Park which is a um, suburb of the Kansas City area, which is where I'm from. And I was working with them and I was also working with our regional fire academy. And um, I noticed like a, a need for recruit physical fitness training. So we'd have, this is, you know, uh, 10-ish years ago and so, you know, this is back when you had lines of kids lining up to want to be in recruit academies. And so all that's great. But even still, the folks coming in were not physically prepared. And the academy, as you know, when you run an academy, you run out of time to do these different things. So everybody's lobbying for, you know, the ladders guy wants five days of ladder courses and the, you know, venom or search guy wants I want all my veteran, you know, we needed a whole week to do this. And the SCBA, you know, or the gear, you know, whatever it is, everybody's lobbying for time in the fire academy. And somehow we're not doing anything with physical fitness other than, you know, the just this fire ground skills. And so I, I was like, I think that is very interesting to me. And so my initial goal was to go back to school and get a degree in exercise science and then teach physical fitness, like PT training for recruits specifically, but I mean, it could be, you know, for any firefighter, but the goal was, yeah, to bring it back to the recruit academy and, and do like this kind of a separate training program. So I go off to K-State and um, that's about two hours away from, from my home in Kansas City. And I met a researcher who, and a professor at K-State who works with Sarah Janke and crew um, on a number of grants and she actually studied with them like during her doctoral program and so she just happened to know them and as I'm talking to her about you know interests and oh yeah I'm a firefighter and she's like oh well you might really like this Sarah Janke group and they're doing research with firefighters and I was like research with firefighters like it had never entered my mind that people study firefighters what a novel you know? concept and that, yeah right exactly um, because, you know, being being in the fire service, like you can you can see that there's issues, but I don't know, somehow in my brain that didn't equate to like someone should be studying them. To me, research is very like 
mechanistic like it's a microscope it's a white coat it's chemistry it's like that's what research was we're just we're used to issues being there nobody's solving them we're just going to talk about them yeah yeah right like or you know you you watch folks like retire out because they've had so many injuries or you you know like it's just it was never like a oh let's try this um proactive rather than reactive type of uh, intervention or, or education, right? So uh, the minute she mentioned that, I was like, oh, yeah. And so then it just was like slowly, little by little, I worked. Um, so that professor at K-State, Dr. Heinrich, she became my mentor throughout grad school. And we worked a lot with NDRI. And Sarah was gracious enough to mentor me. And <laughs> like when I say I knew nothing about research, Sarah was so kind. And like we did a phone call. And she's like, okay, like what kind of research are you interested in? And I'm like, oh, I don't know, like probably firefighter research. <laughs> and she meant like, okay, like do you like qualitative, quantitative? And I just remember like a long pause. And I was like, I'm not really sure what that is. <laughs> and she did did not even make me feel like an idiot. She was like, oh yeah, no, that's no problem. Like, and she explained it. She's like, yeah, like, why don't we start you out working with some qualitative stuff? And uh, so I was, so, you know, on one hand, it's like, I didn't necessarily fall into it because I have a background in fire service. But on the other hand, I do feel like I just got lucky and fell into it in the, in the right place and meeting the right people. And, um, you know, like it was never, like, oh, I want to do fire service research. It was like, oh, my gosh, this exists. This is so cool. <laughs> and you got lucky to come in really at the, the ground level of it when it was first getting started because it wasn't a thing for so yeah. long. Absolutely. Yeah, I came, I came in in kind of like this golden era where FEMA funds for FPNS, fire protection safety grants, were increasing and um, – Sarah was really gaining a name for NGRI and like gaining traction with different organizations in the fire service. And so I came into such a wonderful environment um, in that, you know, we would go to conferences and she was able to connect me with all these different folks. And I'm just, you know, like, like a kid in a candy store starstruck. I remember the first conference we went to and I see all these people in their like class days and I'm like, Oh, like these are all chief level officers. And, you know, and so I, I just remember being very quiet. I remember Sarah asking me after the conference, like, oh, are you okay? You were really quiet. I'm like, yeah, Sarah, as a firefighter, this is a big deal for me to be here. <laughs> and she's like, oh, I've never thought about it that way. Like, so yeah, you just come at it with kind of a different perspective and, and really enjoy each, each step and each connection that you make. And you really appreciate the people who do take time, you know, to mentor you along. She has, she has a very gracious way of not making you feel like an idiot when you are, in fact, an idiot. And yes. just how she can gently explain things to you with humor and kindness and yes. just roll right over the fact that you are a moron and she is way smarter yes. than you, uh, which yes. I absolutely love about her. The first time you and I, I am- met. Oops, sorry. Go ahead. No, I was going to say, I'm just still learning that skill from her. (laughs) I think we're all years behind on that one, behind her. Right. The first time I met you was in Boston, and we were both there for their their local put on, Boston City's fire department put on a health conference. I think it might have been the first of of its kind for female firefighters. And we really got to talking about reproductive health and just how 
some scary research was starting to come down the pike and uh, departments were kind of starting to realize that they needed more policies for their female firefighters uh, for pregnancy and postpartum and all this stuff. And I think now, so that was 2019. I think now the conversation is starting to come a little more full circle and men are realizing that, oh, wait, the female body isn't necessarily the issue and all of this. Uh, we're having issues too with reproductive yes. health and fertility. And I think that light bulb is yes. finally starting to flicker on. And that's something mm-hmm. that I wanted to talk about today uh, because yeah. as firefighters, we don't care about anything until it affects us, right? We, we just, we're horrible yep. at it. We've got so much else going on that we don't pay attention to it until it's on our doorstep. And then we're frantically searching for all the answers and all the research. Um, Absolutely. So Absolutely. let's let's talk about that. What are male firefighters really up against right now when it comes to starting a family? Yeah, so it's, well, I, I say it's interesting. Um, it's, I guess interesting is an okay word. You know, it, it's never good when anyone is struggling with infertility issues. But I think it's, it can be hard So for men firefighters that I've talked to, I think more folks are struggling with infertility or difficulty in conceiving. And I think, I don't know that their first reaction is to think, oh, I wonder if my job is impacting that. So I think we're just starting to like reframe the conversation, especially the more research we do with women and we can show that there's so many so you know when we talk about women in reproductive health we talk about a lot of all of the things that impact your reproductive health on the fire ground breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask over time those toxins lead to cancer protect yourself with magna grip the easiest most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100 percent seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes to get free grant assistance, visit magnagrip.com. And when you think about it, right, like these are things like toxic products of combustion and certain chemicals being absorbed into the body. And these can be dangerous to the fetus, but even before pregnancy, right, these can affect your ability to conceive and it can affect your like reproductive organs. And Dr. Burgess has done a lot of work looking at um, endocrine disrupting chemicals. So essentially, things that your genes have like on and off switches. And so there are different chemicals that can switch on a switch or switch off a switch and kind of downstream that can impact different body functions with fertility and con- conception being one of those. And, and so when you think about not to beat, go a, ahead. not to beat a dead horse, but PFAS is an endocrine disrupting chemical. Absolutely. So that's, that's that little kind of hidden dagger in there that, I mean, I know that's a horse that we're kicking to death, but that's that's a big concern. But absolutely, right. Like, and so all of these things, and and PFOS is one of those things that is so new, and we need more studies to figure out: is it like, yes, it exists in gear, and we know it exists in uh, like AFFF foam, but then, um, like with foam, for example, water runoff. Um, and like, so groundwater contamination is a big concern, but then there, we need more studies to figure out is PFAS in the gear, like, is it able to get through our skin? And then 
if that is the case, like what is the function? How is it changing in the body? And, and yeah, and so exactly, that. like those are things that are not only impacting women, they're impacting men as well. Um, and then of course, you know, an intense thermal environment and loud noises and the psychological and physical strain of the job and like, and, and working shift work, like a constantly disrupted sleep cycle, all of those things impacts reproductive health. And reproductive health, like, <laughs> I say this all the time when I'm doing a, a, a talk, like, it takes two to tango. So if you're, meaning, like, if you're a guy and you're a firefighter, like, and you're coming out, like, your body is also impacted by the job. And so then that takes two to make a baby. So, yes, some of those some of those things, those same things that we talk about with women firefighters are impacting men. And so, yeah, they're, they're couples are struggling with uh, infertility. And, you know, so I think it's, so it's interesting. Um, not, not that it's a good thing, but it's interesting, but oh my gosh, when you talk to a room full of male firefighters and you talk about reproductive health and their eyes kind of glaze over. But my gosh, when you talk about semen, everybody perks up. <laughs> or low testosterone. And you're like, yes, that absolutely. That gets everybody's that, attention. Low T, absolutely, and semen parameters. And they're like, huh? And you're like, yeah, no. So there are studies that show that all of these things we just talked about, the excessive heat and the, the you know, thermal environment, physical, and the the chemicals, all of those things impact your body, meaning like the volume and your sperm concentration, the total sperm count. Like, so I just think it's so interesting because they are amazed by that. And I'm like, well, this is what, you know, we're showing this for women and it can impact their reproductive health system. And men, I don't know if you know this, but you also have a reproductive health system. <laughs> It has to be just in system. tune as ours does. It's actually yes. it's actually yeah. quite complicated, believe it or not. Right. Um, right. I, I think what's fascinating is when I first came into the fire department, I noticed here and there, and it was kept very quiet, guys going home on sick leave for an hour or two because they were undergoing fertility treatments with their significant others and they were trying to start families. And... Mm. I just, I didn't, I didn't think anything of it. And like I said, it was something that was kept so quiet. And now I'm noticing more and more guys speaking out about it. Like, Hey, yeah, no, I had a, we had to go through all of this to start a family. And then the, the guy next to him actually, well, you know, we did too. And guys are speaking yeah. out a lot more about it. And I'm seeing the volume in my area alone is just really, really shocking because I don't see that in my civilian life at all. I mean, we all right. know we all know couples who have had to go through fertility treatments in our off-duty life, but the number is way lower. So seconds count when responding to an emergency. Minutes save count when documenting your day. Emergency networking makes records management easier and faster with its fire and EMS solution. User-friendly, complete online and offline functionality, highly customizable, all at an affordable price. For more information, please visit emergencynetworking.com.
I mean, there's no, like, we, we can't, we can't come off, guys can't come off a fire truck and go on light duty for six months to get their T levels up and, and have right. healthy semen parameters to start a family. So it's kind of like, what is, what's the answer? How do we combat this? Because yeah, it is a problem when you have a young, young guy struggling to start a family. It, um, I had a, right. a friend, I think she went through between 12 to 16 miscarriages and she was married to wow. a firefighter as well. And that was, I think the first big thing that opened my eyes to this whole situation was she was young, she was healthy. They were both in their mid twenties, both incredibly healthy. And it's like, what in the world is causing this? Like, what the heck is right. this? Right. And that was just scary to see because we're considered yeah. the healthiest of, well, most of us are, are right. you know, the, the general population looks at us as being these incredibly healthy, fit human beings. And, right. to, and to find out that we can't do the most basic of basic things, which is sire a child, right, is just insane to think about. Yeah. There was a study that came out of Denmark, and, and it compared firefighters to police officers, and then they called them general, like, civil servants. Like, so they were employed by the government, but they were, um, like, office workers. So not, like, a tactical occupation by any means. And they found that firefighters had 46 to 53% increased risk of male factor infertility compared to the general office workers. And that was, I think that study was one of the first that really opened my eyes and was kind of a concrete example of not just, you know, like, like we mentioned earlier, you know, Folks really tune in when you talk about semen parameters, but when you have a comparison, just like you said, we're not seeing this in the general population. No, we're not. We can compare, you know, because I think that's that's one of the first things that we do is we normalize something. Like, right? I've seen it with drinking behavior when we talk about firefighters drink more than the general population. There's always like this. Well, but we have a weird shift schedule, or we have, you know, we see higher stress like, loads. Okay. Yeah. I'm like, okay, but regardless, like normalizing all those things, y'all still drink more. So um, I I think this was an interesting study because it it sort of laid laid it out, right? Like rather than say, well, you know, I'm sure I know other guys that aren't firefighters and they've had to go through fertility treatments or, you know, whatever. We all kind of normalize it. But yeah, if you can look at a study that had thousands of people in it and you can say, oh my God, firefighters were so much more likely to have to go through fertility treatments or, you know, that the male, and and that's what was interesting too, is, is that it clarified, you know, not just this couple was struggling with infertility, but we looked more specifically and they, not we, it's not my study, but they looked more specifically and saw, no, it's, it's male factor infertility. I really wonder how much, sleep, just changing your sleep Mm. could have an effect on, on it because so there have been studies out there and and they are not done on, on firefighters per se, but that just show how much your hormones change after just one night of horrible sleep. Now imagine we have the worst schedule in the world. We work 24 on, 24 off, 24 on, 24 off, 24 on, and then four days off. 
But for that mm-hmm. five yeah. day stretch, you're just, you're exhausted. And I, I would love to see what the hormone profile of myself and my shift is after that, that fifth day, because I guarantee it's an absolute wreck. And I wonder if just a simple change of sleep hygiene, how much mm-hmm. that would affect it, because that is something we have control over. Like I hate to, <laughs> I hate to bring you on here and just talk about doom and gloom. I mean, how do we fix it? Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, talking about modifiable risk factors is one of the most important things we can do when talking about this kind of thing. <clears throat> and I think, you know, it, it starts with you as an individual and focusing on your sleep. And if you can't focus, you know, answering calls in the middle of the night on shift is inevitable. But thinking through if your department is on the most appropriate shift schedule for your department. IFSTA is dedicated to updating firefighting techniques and safety through the creation of our manuals, apps, curriculum, resource one, and more. Our high quality, technically accurate, and affordable training and education materials have made us a worldwide leader of the fire service. Visit us at ifsta.org for more information. And I, you know, Sarah always says you have to plan for your busiest station. So whatever shift schedule you go with, like, you really have to think about those folks at the busiest stations and make sure that it's relevant for them. But I, I feel like know, we're I think... the last people that, that they think about because <laughs> we don't complain because yes. we want to be at the busy house. Exactly. Exactly. But I think there has to be a shift in, uh, well, well, I, I has, I'm hesitating because I'm, I guess what my brain was thinking was there has to be a shift in tradition. And I'm realizing, oof, that's that's not going to go over well. That's near but impossible. I think when I, yeah, right. Um, but I think what I mean is, I think we have to start looking at all these different options for shift schedules. So I had a really interesting conversation with a uh, firefighter who is now working in the inspection office, and we're talking about different shift schedules. And even so, like you, we had talked earlier about being able to go on light duty and not every fire department has that option. And so what if we had, for example, one crew that was like a nine to five type thing, right? And they were like the supplemental. I know that there's places across the U.S. that have like a supplemental ambulance crew or a supplemental brush rig or something that staffs during busy hours, right? And so you know, depending on what life stage folks are at, if they're trying to regulate their sleep or if they're going through hormone therapy, like perhaps we can figure out. So the whole department doesn't have to change to a new shift schedule, but what if we add kind of these supplemental shifts? And I know there's so much that goes along with it because then these people perhaps become 40 hours a week people and they're not, you know, and it, it it's, it's different. And I understand that it's difficult, but thinking through, you know, some of these things. So that's one of them. And then, of course, on your off-duty time, you really do need to focus on your sleep. And then nutrition, nutrition, like that, just making changes in your own health and, you know, so physical activity, nutrition, obviously not smoking, limiting alcohol use can be huge um, with overall health, but also with um, your body being ready to conceive or contribute to that process right if you're a man um, i like that that's a good way of putting it contribute to the yeah right um no i just it's so interesting because i just i 
I don't know how much guys think about how much they contribute to that, right? Because the woman is looked at as like, oh, you're the one that gets pregnant and then you have to be careful and you have to like eat certain things or do certain things. I'm like, okay, but do you realize like you're contributing to this equation here? In in a major way. Yeah, right. You're half the, you're half the thing. So you have to make sure like your stuff is as healthy as possible, right? Like that makes sense. I am. I'm I'm curious to see with all of this science coming out, if departments are going to start to be better about their policies. For example, I, I do know of at least one place that has what they call the light duty timer. So let's say I break my leg today. I have a certain amount of time to rehab it and get fully functional and get back in the field. Or I get sent a letter mm-hmm. saying, hey, um, you know, it's been 11 months. You are up for termination if you are not ready to go back in the field by the state. Um, and so oh. I, I know a couple women who have said, well, I'm going to I'm paying out the wazoo for fertility treatments, I'm going to come out of the field to maximize my sleep, max, you know, minimize my exposures and all these things. Mm-hmm. And then they come out, they do fertility treatment, they get pregnant. Well, pregnancy is, let's face it, it's pretty much 10 months. And then right, you, you right. can't even come back in the field until six weeks minimum, until that first right. OB checkup. Well, 10 months plus six weeks, I mean, you're already right up against that timer. So there's no wiggle room to come out at all. I know females that have gotten that letter, I mean, a couple Mm. days after delivering their kid, which, which, uh, yeah, talk about a major, major issue right there. If the science is showing we are having an issue, we are up against a crisis as potential parents, you can't, you cannot be doing that. You cannot be treating, and you and I talked about this earlier today, you cannot be treating pregnancy as an injury. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 outer shell fabric delivers a perfectly broken in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of enforced technology. Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit TenkataFabrics.com slash Flex 7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced Technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics. That is one of the most right. mind-blowing things that I see departments doing, is classifying it in right. the same category as a broken ankle, broken wrist, whatever, that that could have been injured on or off duty. This is a natural right. thing that women have been doing for a really, really, really long time. Why are you putting those the same rules on it? Yes. Well, and I think, you know, part, I think part of the, I don't want to, part of the issue is the federal laws and protections that protect women and pregnancy and, you know, allow for time off and, uh, you know, allow, like when you come back from um, having a baby, like you're allowed the same, you know, job position and they can't demote you and, you know, you, you can't be discriminated against for being pregnant. But unfortunately, under the law, I think that it's kind of classified as like an injury. And so I think, you know, 
it's it's like a much bigger systemic issue about how we like so many things need to change right like the the legal definition or the like federal protections i think we need to revisit those and by we i don't mean me i mean people way smarter than me who do legal stuff um but like so i think that's a layer and then that should trickle down to the department because what i've heard is while well, we're following legal standards right or if this is what is uh, the federal laws then you know this is what's incorporated in our department policy and then my second thought was i I hear you saying this light duty timer thing and it has 11 months, but I, I, I guess in my brain, I don't understand why that timer wouldn't kind of start over for different events, meaning your infertility treatments is one kind of event. Then if you get pregnant, to me, that's like a separate event. Um, so I find it interesting that like all of that, if you did infertility treatments and then you got pregnant, like and all of that like it, it's coming off the same clock like that's interesting to me i feel like perhaps we should write the policy differently so that because I, I don't know like you i i don't know anything about this so you know if you have like an acl tear and you're off for quite a while for a knee injury but then let's say you come back to work and you have a back injury like are you still only limited to this 11 months of time off like most places I think the clock restarts with a new injury not that I'm advocating getting back-to-back -back injuries um so that no absolutely not that is built into that for the protection because yeah I mean that we see it all the time somebody gets one injury and then sets themselves right up for another but I always right. I always find it's funny when uh I hear well, we're following federal law, well, federal law that was designed for people who work in offices and go to bed and yeah. sleep at night and sit in front of a computer Absolutely. or do whatever right. it is they're doing in a safer environment that uh, is right. a lot more facilitative of working up against that nine month mark and Absolutely. being more successful at reproductive health. So that one. So that's interesting because... I hear, you know, I think we as researchers and the fire service perhaps need to do a better job of educating not only our folks, meaning the fire service, but like, you know, thinking of like a CFSI and, and educating our local, state, and federal politicians so that they understand how different it is for the fire service. Because, yeah, these, these laws that we have in place, you're right, they not that they don't work the same, but it, I mean, it, it, it impacts firefighters in a completely different way than like a nine to fiver or, you know, assuming that you can put someone on light duty is just not feasible for fire departments all across the United States. So I, you, you know, just like you have to plan for your busiest station, you have to similarly plan for the department that can't have, you know, even five people off on, on light duty at a time. Well, and we're struggling to staff our, <laughs> we're struggling not to hold people over every day in, in our department, which yeah. is a larger department. So I can't imagine the smaller, more rural departments. You take one person off the line, that's going to be an Absolutely. issue. Absolutely. Mm. 
Well, I think we really... Well, I, I don't know that we solved anything. <laughs> no, well, we, we pointed didn't. to a lot of issues. Yeah, we, we pointed to a lot of issues. Hopefully someone smarter than us comes along and says, hey, maybe tweak this and this and we'll all be fine. But somehow I, I, I doubt that. I, uh, I'm so curious to see what the next 10 years of research in the field of reproductive health show. I know we're, uh, we're starting to do a couple cohort studies with labs, and that's going to show so much with, with hormone panels and... I'm, I'm so excited to see how that turns. Excited and dreading, I should say. Yeah. To see how those I, yeah, turn out. Yeah, exactly. I, as a researcher, I'm excited, and then you know, I'm like, oh god, I guess that's not necessarily exciting, um, but it is good to have the information. Well, and in a world of low recruitment, it's it's like, geez, you know, we need these answers to protect ourselves, but at the same time, you know, are we are we scaring off the next generation? Of, of potential firefighters with all this new information that's not so great about yeah. our health. Exactly. Like it's, we want to promote the job and you want to educate folks on the risk. And I, I think this kind of does come back to what you said about um, going full circle and coming up with some of the solutions while we talk about some of the issues. And I think that is a huge part of the messaging. Like, yes, the job is dangerous. The job's always been dangerous, but I think the dangers are kind of shifting as we have safer building construction. We have better equipment. Um, Our PPE, I guess, as far as being better is questionable now knowing that there's, you know, different chemicals in the gear that may not be safe. But the point is, things are constantly changing to make the job safer. And so I think, you know, instead of worrying about structural collapse or burn injuries or inhalation injuries, like we have all this equipment to protect us. So the, the dangers of the job shift to these different things. But again, you know, like we talked about, I think that there are a lot of things that you can do. And, you know, if you're in a department and can come off the truck a little bit earlier um, in your pregnancy, then that's awesome. Or, you know, but I, I think it's all about arming folks with the appropriate education and being able to kind of take some of those modifiable risk factors in, into your own hands. And, you know, just like washing your gear is sometimes in your own hands and you have to, you know, be vigilant about showering within the hour and ensuring you're using a new hood each fire and those types of things. So reproductive health is kind of the same way. Like, you know, have those chats with your doctor, go in and get, you know, your AMH levels and find out what your ovarian reserves are early on. And same thing with guys, find out what your semen count and motility and volume are and find out what your testosterone levels are. Like be armed with your health information so that you can make kind of those educated decisions about family planning and, you know, whatever it is like, but so I, I, I think it does go back to kind of what you said about what can we do? Well, Brittany, thank you so much for talking about this always interesting topic. Um, and th- <laughs> thank you for uh, stepping up, taking one for the team, coming off the line and, and being a researcher and paying attention to our health because it, it's it's been so critically missing for so many years. So thank you to you and the team at NDRI who are really finally taking care of us and paying attention to our, our health and our issues. It really is a... Uh labor of love we all come at it from you know different perspectives sarah's dad was a fire chief for many years actually in my department uh different 
time he had retired by the time I got there but we all have a heart for the fire service and so I'm you know we're all happy to do anything we can to help kind of move the needle forward and so I appreciate you having me on and letting me ramble for a little while um it is a topic that I think is so incredibly interesting and there's so much that we don't know but like you mentioned there is so much that we know now that we didn't know even five or ten years ago so it, it is it, it'll be exciting to continue to watch the research move forward and see how we can make it better so yeah thank you thank you so much for having me Breathing in diesel exhaust fumes is like walking into a fire without a mask. Over time, those toxins lead to cancer. Protect yourself with MagnaGrip, the easiest, most reliable exhaust removal system that features a true 100% seal to eliminate diesel exhaust fumes. To get free grant assistance, visit MagnaGrip.com. Seconds count when responding to an emergency. Minutes save count when documenting your day. Emergency networking makes records management easier and faster with its Fire and EMS solution. User-friendly, complete online and offline functionality, highly customizable, all at an affordable price. For more information, please visit emergencynetworking.com. IFSTA is dedicated to updating firefighting techniques and safety through the creation of our manuals, apps, curriculum, Resource One, and more. Our high-quality, technically accurate, and affordable training and education materials have made us a worldwide leader of the fire service. Visit us at ifsta.org for more information. Like a trusted turnout jacket you've had for years, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric delivers a perfectly broken-in feel on the very first wear. Flexible, comfortable, and powered with the strength of enforced technology, Flex 7 Outer Shell Fabric is made to move. To learn more, visit TenkataFabrics.com slash Flex 7. Flex 7, powered by Enforced Technology, only from Tenkata Protective Fabrics.